Hello, and welcome to the Chess Journal's Editor Highlights Podcast. Each month, Chess Editor-in-Chief Dr. Peter Mazzone highlights key articles from the current issue of the journal to help clinicians stay informed about new research in the fields of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. To introduce this month's episode, here is Dr. Peter Mazzone. Thank you for tuning in to the Editor's Highlight podcast for the December 2022 issue of the journal Chest. We have a great lineup of diverse content in this month's issue. Over the next 10 to 15 minutes, I'll provide a brief overview of key manuscripts published in each of our content areas. We'll start with our chest infections content area. The perspective of the patient should be considered in the evaluation of novel interventions. In this issue, Cameron and colleagues report the results of an online discrete choice experiment designed to determine what treatment outcomes matter to people with cystic fibrosis and what trade-offs they would make to obtain these outcomes. 103 people completed the survey. An improvement in life expectancy of 10 years or more had the greatest impact on treatment preferences, followed by a 15% increase in lung function. Though preference profiles were not uniform, participants were willing to trade substantial reductions in these outcomes to reduce treatment time or burden. These findings suggest that treatment burden should be captured in clinical trials and patient preferences considered when initiating therapies. Also in this section is an original research article reporting the incidence, risk factors, and in-hospital mortality of multidrug-resistant and extended-spectrum beta-lactamase gram-negative bacteria in bilateral lung transplant recipients, and another that reports longitudinal nitric oxide levels and infections by ultrastructure and genotype in primary ciliary dyskinesia. On to our COPD content area. Most patients with COPD do not maintain exercise training after pulmonary rehabilitation. In this issue, Frey and colleagues report on a parallel arm, multi-center randomized controlled trial to assess whether a 12-month home-based minimal equipment strength training program after pulmonary rehab has an effect on dyspnea, exercise capacity, and patient-reported outcomes. 123 patients were randomized and 104 completed 12 months of follow-up. In the intervention arm, 70% of participants continued the training until the study end. There was no difference noted in the change in the chronic respiratory questionnaire dyspnea scale. A moderate difference in the one-minute sit-to-stand test favoring the intervention arm was found, without evidence for an effect on other outcomes. 79% of participants in the intervention arm reported positive effects that they attributed to training. These results suggest that a home exercise program does not impact dyspnea, but may impact the sit-to-stand test in patient-perceived fitness. Next is our critical care content area. Practice patterns and head-to-head comparisons of the inhaled vasodilators, nitric oxide and epoprostenol, in mechanically ventilated patients with acute respiratory failure 
are not well defined. In this issue, Bosch and colleagues attempt to determine practice patterns and comparative effectiveness by using a large U.S. database to identify patients admitted to hospitals that exclusively used either inhaled nitric oxide or epoprostenol. In total, 11,200 patients from 303 hospitals were identified. From this cohort, 104 hospitals exclusively used nitric oxide and 118 epoprostenol, accounting for 1,666 and 1,812 patients respectively. No differences were found in the likelihood of successful extubation between patients admitted to nitric oxide only versus epoprostenol only hospitals. Also, no differences were found in total hospital costs or death. These findings suggest large variation exists in the use of initial inhaled vasodilator therapy for respiratory failure, but effectiveness is similar regardless of the agent of choice. Completing this section is a research letter describing a regional command center for pandemic surge and a special feature article exploring lessons learned, lessons unlearned, and lessons for the future from the COVID-19 pandemic. On to our diffuse lung disease content area. The clinical features of ulcerative colitis-related lung disease have not been well described. In this issue, Moda and colleagues describe the incidence, characteristics, clinical course, and risk factors for ulcerative colitis-related lung disease from a retrospective series of 563 patients with ulcerative colitis. They found that 5% developed ulcerative colitis-related lung disease, approximately half presenting with airway disease, a third with organizing pneumonia, under a quarter with interstitial pneumonias, and one of 28 with pleuritis. Those with airway disease were more likely to be older and have a history of having had a colectomy. They responded to inhaled or systemic corticosteroids, though frequent exacerbations were not uncommon. Organizing pneumonia was often felt to be drug-induced, responding favorably to discontinuation of the drug and initiation of corticosteroids. Older age was also associated with other interstitial pneumonias, with the presence of fibrosis favoring a gradual deterioration in lung function. These findings provide a clearer characterization of ulcerative colitis-related lung disease. Completing this section is a research letter that explores the impact of age, menopause, and serolemus on spontaneous pneumothorax in patients with lymphangiomyomatosis. Our education and clinical practice content areas next. The clinical influence of intravitreal bevacizumab used for retinopathy of prematurity on respiratory outcomes in premature infants with bronchopulmonary dysplasia are not known. In this issue, Wang and colleagues report the findings from a retrospective cohort of very low birth weight preterm infants designed to determine the effect of intravitreal bevacizumab on respiratory outcomes. 174 infants with bronchopulmonary dysplasia, 88 with retinopathy of prematurity, of whom 32 had type 1 retinopathy of prematurity and received intravitreal bevacizumab, 
were included. After appropriate adjustments, intravitreal bevacizumab was associated with prolonged ventilator support and a lower likelihood of becoming ventilator-free, the hazard ratio of 0.53. These results suggest that intravitreal bevacizumab may have short-term adverse respiratory impact in very low birth weight infants with bronchopulmonary dysplasia requiring ventilatory support. Next is our pulmonary vascular content area. Cardiac effort, defined as the number of heartbeats divided by the six-minute walk distance, is reproducible and correlates with right ventricular function and pulmonary arterial hypertension. In this issue, LeChant and colleagues report the findings of a prospective observational study designed to determine if a chest-based accelerometer could estimate the six-minute walk test distance remotely and whether the cardiac effort was more reproducible than the six-minute walk test. Data was collected from four to six six six-minute walk tests performed during a two-week period, with two performed in clinic and the remainder at the patient's discretion at home. The estimated six-minute walk test distance correlated strongly with directly measured six-minute walk test distance, with remote distances being statistically shorter than clinic measured distances. The difference between cardiac effort were not statistically significant. These results support the feasibility of remote six-minute walk test performance and reproducibility of the cardiac effort measure as a remote assessment of exercise tolerance. Also in this section is an original research article assessing the augmentation of alveolar dead space during exercise in patients with heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. Completing this section is a chest review of drug-drug interactions in the management of patients with pulmonary arterial hypertension. Our sleep medicine content area is next. Telemonitoring of the use of CPAP devices helps to optimize CPAP adherence in patients with obstructive sleep apnea. In this issue, Marais and colleagues report the findings from a randomized trial of multimodal telemonitoring, including monitoring of body weight, blood pressure, and activity level versus usual CPAP telemonitoring with the primary outcome being a reduction in body weight. 168 individuals participated with a reduction of body weight of greater than or equal to 3% noted in 39.3% of those assigned to multimodal telemonitoring versus 25.0% in those assigned to the usual telemonitoring group. Daily step counts were also noted to be higher in the multimodal telemonitoring group. These results suggest that multimodal telemonitoring may enhance body weight reduction efforts in patients with obstructive sleep apnea and obesity. Next is our thoracic oncology content area. The safety profile of the combination of intrapleural fibrinolytic and enzyme therapy used in those with a pleural infection is poorly defined. In this issue, Akulian and colleagues report the findings of a multicenter retrospective observational study of 1,833 patients who received at least one dose of combination intrapleural fibrinolytic and enzyme therapy 
to determine the bleeding risk associated with this therapy. Pleural bleeding occurred in 4.1% of patients, with no difference noted when a half-dose regimen was used. Continuing therapeutic anticoagulation was associated with increased bleeding rates compared to temporarily withholding anticoagulation, 9.6% versus 2.6%. Both the rapid score and systemic anticoagulation were independently predictive of bleeding. Non-bleeding complications other than pain were rare. These results suggest a low overall bleeding risk with a combination intrapleural fibrinolytic and enzyme therapy, which can be aggravated by concurrent systemic anticoagulation. Also in this section is an original research article assessing ventilatory strategy to prevent atelectasis during bronchoscopy under general anesthesia, and a chest review of the multidisciplinary management of chylothorax. Finally, I encourage you to take a look at our Humanities and Chess Medicine section, where you will find an exhalations piece titled One Sunday Morning. Our case series publications for the month provide novel and educational cases to help you improve your clinical skills. I hope you enjoy reading all of the high-quality content available in this month's issue of Chest. As always, I'm grateful to the authors of this work, the reviewers who volunteered their time to improve the quality of these manuscripts, and to our editorial board for guiding everything that we do. Until next month, I hope you enjoy the December issue. Thanks for listening to the Chess Journal's Editor Highlights podcast. You can find the articles mentioned in this podcast and more on chestjournal.org. And if you're looking for more context and commentary on articles in the current issue, please check out the original Chess Journal podcast, which features in-depth discussions with the authors themselves. We'll be back again with more Editor's Highlights next month.